start with a story this morning. So um, I was at the Winter Night Shelter last night doing the kind of evening stint, but a couple of weeks ago I was the sleeper, which meant that I turned up at half past ten, went into Deb's office and slept on the big inflatable mat just in case there was a problem, uh, then the night staff can come in and say, help us out. Uh, but I was the sleeper. And so I turned up there and went into Deb's office, and I was laying there in the office. Imagine going to your office and sleeping there all night. It's a bit weird, really. It was very strange. And, uh, but anyway, uh, half past six in the morning, or 20 past six, Reg or someone came knocking on the door to do the breakfast, and I kind of woke up. I had a bit of sleep, you know, a few hours, a bit broken, and I kind of got up, um, you know, kind of got myself a bit ready, and uh, I thought to myself, gosh, this must be what like some of the homeless guys and girls feel like when they get up. Oh, I thought, hmm, interesting. Anyway, uh, the breakfast staff came in. They said we could go. I thought, right, it's half past six. Uh, if I go home now, I don't have to be up till half past seven. I could have an hour in my bed. An hour in my bed with my duvet, la, la, la. So I get home, lovely, park up on the drive. I walk up there, put the key in the door. Door won't open. Someone's left the key in the other side of the door. I can't get in. Not a problem, I think. Not a problem. I'll ring. What do I do? What do I do? Uh, dogs asleep. I'll tell you what I do. I'll go through the garage, round the back, just in case someone's left one of the patio doors open at the back, right? Which often happens in our house. Uh, burglars just note that. So I went through the garage, tried to be quiet, tried to open the back patio doors, wouldn't open. Dog didn't wake up. Thought, okay. Went back round the front, stood there for a bit, windows are shut, doors are shut. Right, I'll have to phone Jane. I'll have to phone Jane, ring her, get her to come down. It's her fault, you know, she's probably left the key in the door or maybe Charlie. I've got to ring somebody. Half past six in the morning, well, 20 to seven by now because I've faffed around for 10 minutes. Ring, 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 ring. I can't believe it, not answering. Ring, 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 nothing. Right, I'll ring Charlie. It must have been Charlie. She probably left the key in the door anyway. Ring Charlie's mobile, stand there. Ring, 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 straight to voicemail. Oh, this is ridiculous. Right, nothing for it. I have to ring the bell. Wake him up or the dog will bark. What do I care? It's now quarter seven. Time in bed is going. Right, ring, dong, ding, dong, dong, dong. Ring, ding, 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 dong, dong, dong. <laughs> ring, ding, 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 ding. Six times, nothing. I'm <laughs> down, right. I'm going to phone the home number. What do I care? It's 10 to seven by now. I've got 40 minutes in bed. Ring the home number. Ring the home number. I can hear the phone ringing. I'm outside the house. I can hear the answer phone click on. It's my own voice. Hello there. <laughs> Dale, Jane, Paige and John, can't reach your phone right now. Please. I can't. No one's waking up. The dog isn't waking up. So at this moment, I stand there and think, I'm not getting in. I'll have to go for a cup of coffee. And as I said it, I stepped back and realised I've got no money. Because I didn't take my wallet. And guess what God said? This is more like what the people on the homeless shelter feel like. Oh, then, then I shut up. <laughs> when I had a cup of coffee with a father-in-law who was awake down the road. See, that experience, I think, just helped me to appreciate and understand a little more what the guests at the winter night shelter go through. I'm not saying I understand fully, because I don't, because I've never been homeless. But I do understand just a little bit more. And in the prophetic word that we are looking at as a church, this term, God said that we would have an anointing for things that we represented in the bowls, like healing, salvation, gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. But I think it's important that we understand how that anointing will come about, that we understand a little bit more than uh, we understand now. 
Because that anointing is going to come through the Holy Spirit. Right? It's going to come through a greater activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually and our lives corporately. See, it's wonderful to hear, oh, God's going to give us an anointing. Fantastic. It's going to come by the Holy Spirit working in our lives. See, in the same way that salvation is only possible in the name of Jesus, because why else would God make his son suffer on the cross to die if he was going to allow another way to be saved? In exactly the same way, God's anointing and enabling only comes through the Holy Spirit, because why else would God send his Holy Spirit if there was another way to access his power? So the point is we need to understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to do so that we can work with him, not be in ignorance of him, and certainly not be against him. So that's really what we want to look at over the next few weeks as we dive into the start of Acts. So let me just give you some context to the verses that we're going to specifically look at this morning. We're going to read a couple of Bible passages, one from Acts 1, one from Acts 2. But the first one, there is this 40-day period between when Jesus was resurrected, but before he ascended into heaven, and he spent time with his disciples. And he firstly assured them, look, it's me, it's me, it's Jesus. I've been resurrected. You can put your fingers where the nail marks were. It's me. And then secondly, he wanted to get them to understand and give them instructions that his ministry is going to continue on earth, even, even when he goes to be seated at the Father's right hand, he's still got a plan. He's still going to be active. He's still going to do stuff in people's lives. It's just now he's going to operate through his disciples, through you and me, through his church. He's still going to direct affairs. It's still his kingdom. He's still going to be the general in charge of everything. It's just that we're going to get to be the players on the field like England were at points yesterday versus Wales. At other times, they weren't really. I don't know where they were. I think they were having a little picnic or something. But that's my little rant about rugby over. <laughs> we are going to be the troops on the ground. Jesus is going to be the general kind of controlling affairs in heaven. And he kind of tells them that. So he tells them, wait. Wait for the gift that my Father God promised that Christians would receive after I've died and been resurrected as part of the new covenant that we're going to get to live on. And that gift that Jesus is talking about was the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, before Jesus, certain people at certain times for certain tasks got filled with the Holy Spirit. But under the new covenant, the last covenant, the one that Jesus paid for with his own blood, the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on all of God's people. The prophet Joel, hundreds of years before Jesus came, speaking about this promised gift of the Holy Spirit, said, and afterwards I will pour out my Spirit, capital S, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Is anyone a son or daughter here? So you're included. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Any old or young men here this morning? Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days. And so what we're going to read in Acts 1, we're going to read verse 1 to 8, 
Jesus is saying to his disciples, in a few days after I've gone uh, and ascended to heaven, you are going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that's been promised in the new covenant. And then we're just going to look ahead a few days further in Acts 2, verse 1 to 4, when at Pentecost we actually read the Holy Spirit coming on the disciples and filling them for the first time. And then next week, Quincy is going to start from Pentecost, and he's going to look at the outworking of that. Does everybody understand that? Great. So let me read Acts 1, verse 1 to 8, and then we're just going to sneak a peek into a few days forward, which is when what was promised actually happened. So it says Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, that's after the cross, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and asked, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So they tell, he tells them something wonderful, they get the wrong end of the stick, and he says, it's not for you to know that. Then he says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then just looking ahead, a few days later, Acts 2 verse 1 to 4, says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So Jesus tells the disciples that the promised gift of the Holy Spirit from the Father is about to come. And then a few days later, we read of the moment when that promise was fulfilled and the results. But this morning, I really want to focus us in on verse 8 of that first chapter, where I think Jesus gives a bit of a one-line summary of why God is going to fill people with his Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will do. And we're going to look at it under three headings, glorifying Jesus, witnesses not witnessing, and then power for every day. So let me pray, and then I'll crack on. Lord Jesus, we want to ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up our hearts and you would open up our minds and we would hear from your word what it is that you want to say to us. So Lord, I pray right now, would you help me to speak clearly and would you help us to listen to you, not to be distracted by whatever the enemy may want to distract us by but instead to focus our hearts, to focus our minds on you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
So glorifying Jesus. The first question is always the why question. You see, it's wonderful that God has fulfilled his promise of filling people with his spirit, but actually God always fulfills his promise because it's part of his character. Just because sometimes he chooses to answer us in a different way than we want, or maybe just sometimes because he takes a different time frame than we would, or maybe sometimes just because he might say no, doesn't mean that God does not keep his promises. Let me tell you, God has kept and will keep every promise that he has ever made. And he makes this promise that he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on a number of occasions. He gets many prophets to speak about it through the Old Testament. Jesus himself speaks about it. It was always going to happen. It was just a matter of time when. So if you're waiting for something that you believe God has promised you, you know, once you've double-checked that God has said it, keep trusting. Because if God has promised something, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. But I digress. As this was always going to happen, the question for me remains, why? Why under the last and greatest covenant, the one that Jesus paid for with his own blood, would God pour out his Holy Spirit on his people? And I think the answer, the central part of the answer, is so that we are able to bring glory to Jesus through our lives. I'll say it again. God pours out his Holy Spirit onto and into Christians so that we are able to bring glory to Jesus through our lives. Every aspect of our lives. What we think, what we say, what we do, the worldview that we hold, how we use our skills, our abilities, supernatural miracles, breakthroughs, answers to prayer, at home, at work, with friends, with neighbors, on good days, bad days, sunny days, rainy days, good seasons, bad seasons, time of joy, time of suffering. I believe the Holy Spirit can and wants to give us the power, the enabling, the grace to bring glory to Jesus through every day, every aspect, every season of our lives from the moment we're saved until the moment we die. I think the psalmist got it right when he said in Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory because of your love and faithfulness. See, I think we know this. This is not rocket science, but I think we know this because this is what I see the Holy Spirit doing for Jesus. The Holy Spirit gave Jesus, if you like, the power, the enabling, the grace to bring glory to God through his life. And Jesus' prime aim, if you like, in life was to bring glory to God the Father. They had set a plan of salvation, and Jesus now wanted to live his life to bring glory to God the Father. So Jesus says things like this in John 12. Father, glorify your name. In John 17, it says, Jesus said this. He looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. He says in Matthew 5, 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and glorify 
your Father in heaven. This was Jesus' number one thing to do, to bring glory to the Father. And he did this by serving, by obeying him, by walking in step with him day by day, moment by moment. That's what we read about when we read the accounts of Jesus' life. We're seeing a life completely submitted and obedient to God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus did. And so when Jesus came to that moment, for example, when he heard God saying, feed these 5,000 people, even though you've got a couple of loaves and a few fish. Jesus, we see, was obedient, declared, God's going to feed you, sit down. He starts to hand out the loaves and the fish, and the Holy Spirit multiplies so that everyone gets fed. See, Jesus understood the Holy Spirit has the power to deliver in the gap, the gap between what God calls us to do and what we can do in our own strength. There is a gap, and the Holy Spirit has the power, if you like, to fill in that gap, to do what only God can do. And that brings glory to God. And we see instances like that time and time again in Jesus' life. And the dramatic ones catch our attention. And we remember them, the miracles and the feeding of the thousands, etc., etc. But do you know, it was the Holy Spirit that helped Jesus, that enabled Jesus in, if you like, the ordinary days, in the quiet days as well, in the darker places, in the preparation years When there were no miracles, the Holy Spirit was the one who was helping Jesus. The Holy Spirit was the one who was guiding Jesus as he got away by himself to spend time with his father to get guidance. It was the Holy Spirit when he sat there in Gethsemane and all the disciples had fallen to sleep. It was the Holy Spirit who comforted him in those dark moments as he looked ahead towards the cross. Jesus focused on loving, being completely obedient to the Father because he wanted to bring the Father glory. And the Holy Spirit was his helper in that, in the broadest sense of the word. It's why when Jesus said, actually, when I go, it's better that I go, then I will send another to you. I will send you the helper, the counselor. I'm going to send to you the one who did all that for me, the miracle stuff, but also did that day by day walking with me when I needed guidance, when I needed to hear the Father's word, when I needed to be comforted, when I needed to be encouraged, the Holy Spirit. He did that for me, and he's going to do that for you. So it's better that I go, because then I am going to send him to you. And so the greatest thing that we can do to bring glory to Jesus is to become like him, is to, is to be as he was like the Father, to be transformed in our thinking, our action, that we become more and more like Jesus, who was completely in love with God, who was completely obedient to the Father. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus did. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what he wants to do in your life and in my life. And the reason I think the verse says we'll have power when the Holy Spirit fills us, like the verse says, it's not like he's going to pass power to us like it was some entity, like some battery pack we stick on our back. It's actually because we will have the Holy Spirit with us, filling us, being active in our life, moving in us and moving through us, speaking to us. 
We now have the opportunity to have relationship with, to have friendship with, fellowship with the Holy Spirit as Jesus had friendship, fellowship, access to the Holy Spirit. And when our hearts have this genuine desire to live and serve and obey Jesus and walk with him every day and bring glory to him, when there is that desire in us, and that desire then meets with the power of the Holy Spirit, who is powerful because he's God himself to raise Jesus from the dead, when those two things meet, then transformation is possible. Then miracles can happen. Then lives can get transformed. Then addictions get broken. Then bodies can be mended. Then minds that aren't right can be set right. Hard hearts can be melted. Fears can be banished. Cages can be opened and the work of the devil can be defeated. People like you and me can become like Jesus. When those two things meet, a genuine desire in us to glorify Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, when they come together, all that stuff can happen. And Jesus modeled this for us. He walked with God every day through the power of the Spirit so that one day you and I could walk with God every day through the power of the Spirit. Jesus did miracles through the power of the Spirit so that one day I, Dale Barlow, could do miracles through the power of the Spirit in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus was completely obedient to God through the power of the Spirit so that one day you and I could be completely obedient to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus resisted temptation and sin through the power of the Spirit so that one day you and I could resist temptation and sin through the power of the Spirit. What the Spirit did for Jesus to bring glory to God, that's what the Spirit wants to do for us to bring glory to Jesus, which brings glory to God. <clears throat> you get that? It's exactly the same. The Holy Spirit did it for Jesus to bring glory to God, and now he says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit and he's going to enable you to bring glory to me, and I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, and as you bring glory to me, I'm bringing glory to the Father. That's, that's the why in terms of pouring out the Spirit. That's the grand plan that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made in heaven, and you and I, if you're a Christian, get to play a part of. That's the why. But I think we have to understand the why. Otherwise, maybe we see the Holy Spirit as an it. We don't know what he's trying to do. What, 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 why this? Why that? But well, we have to understand. No, no. He wants to come and change our lives so that we bring glory to Jesus. That's what he's after. Because I think we've got to understand that in this verse, we are called witnesses, not witnessing. If you take this verse as primarily about evangelism, then I think we reduce it down to about 10% of what it should be. We're called to be witnesses. And witnessing is one part of what witnesses do. It's an important part, but it's not the only part. You see, a witness is someone who says what they know, says what they saw, says what they have experienced. They're called to testify to the truth about a matter. And a Christians are called to witness or to testify to the fact that Jesus is alive, that he forgives, that we can live in relationship with him. And therefore, it's about our whole lives being a witness to that. 
It's not simply about whether we helped out on an alpha course. It's not, it's not I got filled with the Spirit and then I could invite my friend to the carol service. We mustn't reduce it down to that. If we reduce it down to that, we'll miss it. You see, witnessing is simply something that we do. But being a witness is about who we are. There's something here about who we are. We are called to be witnesses. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to transform our whole lives. He doesn't simply want to just make us better to evangelism. That's not what he's after. In fact, if our witnessing, our telling people about Jesus, is not consistent with what we're allowing Jesus to do in our lives, then we're being hypocritical. And people smell hypocrites because they stink. We're not going to be perfect, but unless we've genuinely got a heart of love for God, a heart of love for him, unless we're genuinely desiring to know and follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are better not to encourage others to do the same. Because they may hear the words, but they'll smell the hypocrisy. So how does the Holy Spirit's power work in us to make us witnesses? Is it simply when we're faced with the impossible, like the loaves and the fishes, that he acts? No, I don't think it is. I think, I think that his power is there for those times, but they are the exception. I think the bread and butter work of the Holy Spirit is to help you and me walk with Jesus every day. Because I think the bread and butter work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life was to help him to walk with God every day. In other words, he's interested in keeping you and I spiritually healthy. We love reading the action-adventure side of Jesus' life. We're happy to acknowledge the Holy Spirit's role, but I think it's those behind-the-scenes moments that matter as much. The seeking after his Father for guidance, for reassurance. Jesus had those. He needed those. The Holy Spirit was active in those. It's why Jesus calls him the comforter, the counselor, I don't know about you, but I have those moments. I need those moments when I'm with, it's just me, there's nobody, and I need the Holy Spirit to help me hear God. I need the Holy Spirit to speak to me. I need to be comforted by God. I think Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit did that for me, and that's how, one of the ways, he's going to give power to you. Did you notice, there's an interesting thing here, at Pentecost, the first thing people did when the Holy Spirit came on them was not to evangelize. It was to praise God. They opened their mouths and they praised God. They declared the existence and the goodness of God. It says they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And later on in the verse, it says that the crowd who were there looking on, who came from all different nations, were amazed when they heard the disciples praising God in their own language. Not in the disciples' language, but in the languages of the peoples who were looking on. It's just like, imagine I'm here, and we're surrounded in this room by Germans, Italians, French, Slovaks, and, just, and suddenly you and I begin to praise God in all the different languages represented. That's, that's what God enabled them to do. But, you know, he made them witnesses, testifiers to the truth. He made them praise God, 
to declare that there's a God in heaven who deserves praise from all men and women because he created all men and women. The Holy Spirit didn't simply give them the ability to speak languages they hadn't learned. It wasn't like he just gave them an instant French A-level and then said, right, speak that. He did something in their hearts. He did something inside of them that overflowed out of their mouth as praise. It started in here. And then it came out of their mouth. It just so happened in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he made it come out and be verbalized in languages that the disciples hadn't learned, but that there were people around them who spoke those languages, and they were amazed. And Peter then said, ah, this is an evangelistic moment, and he preached the gospel. But when the Holy Spirit at Pentecost came, first thing he did was, was to enable people to praise God genuinely from the heart. He did something in here. And then when it came out of there, he then preached the gospel on the back of it. Because I think the Holy Spirit always wants to do something in us before he does something through us. I'll say that again, even if it's just for my own benefit. The Holy Spirit always wants to do something in us before he does something through us. If he had simply wanted to upskill them or open them in terms of witnessing, he could have just given them the ability to speak languages, which would have had exactly the same effect on the people around them. But he wants to make them witnesses. He wants to change them on the inside. So he touches their hearts. They suddenly realize in a moment there's a God who knows them and loves them. And so they open their mouth in praise and it all comes out in loads of different languages. But you've got to see this. He's done something in here. Sadly, when I look at my own life, sometimes I don't want to allow the Holy Spirit to do something in here. I can get very frustrated, God. You don't seem to be doing much through me. You don't seem to be using me very much, God. And when I try, it didn't really work. Mm. But what I'm learning slowly is that, no, no, God, you want to change me in here. Oh. <laughs> and then maybe from the overflow of that, you might use me to witness to others. See, I think the Holy Spirit is absolutely committed not to making us people who can witness, committed to making us witnesses. And so he wants to transform us. He wants to change us. I said to you the other week that I'm trying to listen to the voice of God for adventures and I'm learning that the place where I hear his voice is in the place of obedience. I'm saying, God, can I do this? And he says, great, let's begin. You want to be involved in them big things? You want to see some miracles? Fantastic. I'm going to start with the small things in your life, Dale. Let's see if you can hear me and obey me in those and then we'll get on to those. And that's what I'm finding him doing more and more. As I read this account in Pentecost, I kind of see the same kind of things. See, I think, I think we can think Holy Spirit, dramatic, big, Pentecost. But you know what? There were plenty of days in Peter's lives when there wasn't a Pentecost. There was plenty of ordinary days. But the Holy Spirit was still with him, still filling him. It's not just all about the dramatic stuff. The Holy Spirit wants to come and fill Christians on a Tuesday morning, on a Wednesday night. He's very happy to move in the big moments, but he's also very happy to touch lives in the quiet moments. The Holy Spirit isn't in it for show. 
He's not worried about ratings. He couldn't give a monkeys. He's interested in bringing people into relationship with Jesus and then transforming their lives so that they genuinely bring glory to Jesus. And then he'll use that life as a witness to others. If he carried on giving us dramatic experience after dramatic experience, all we would do is chase dramatic experience. We just chase that. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is wanting to do something much deeper, something much more wonderful. But you know, you and I need to understand this. I think we understand that if we were called to feed 5,000 people with like two loaves and two fish, we would understand that we need a miracle, wouldn't we? We, we can get that. Let me just say this. We need the power of the Holy Spirit just to live, just to stand as Christians, to become like Jesus, to stand against the enemy. You and I need the Holy Spirit for whatever we are doing this week, as much as Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to feed those 5,000 if we are going to live lives that glorify God. It's no different. There's no less. There's no, we don't need less because it doesn't seem so much of a miracle. It's easy to understand that we need the Holy Spirit for impossible stuff. But let me just say, changing my heart is impossible. I know my heart. Unless God does something in it, it isn't going to change. It is impossible, I think, without the Holy Spirit. To live in the world but not be of the world, not to become those who think like the world, is impossible. To be salt and light in this dark world is impossible. To resist temptation without the Holy Spirit is impossible. To live the normal Christian life, the supernatural stuff, and the kind of get up, go to work, raise the kids, it's all impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all impossible without him guiding us, comforting us, leading us, enabling us. It's all impossible. I think the devil's very clever because he tells Christians the lie, you don't really need the Holy Spirit. You just need him for that impossible stuff. So when we face lots of ordinary stuff, we don't look to the Holy Spirit. It's a lie. We mustn't believe it. If, we're, if you and I are going to glorify Jesus this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in every situation, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. We need him to come and do something in here that then might kind of outflow from there. Oh my goodness, look at the time. Let me just say this about power for the everyday. I think every day I find that my spiritual life gets drained without me doing anything. It's like, it's like if I start off, if my spiritual life is like a bank account and I got 500 pounds at the start of the week, every day 200 pounds comes out. It doesn't matter what I do, it just comes out. And so I have to do things. I have to read the word of God. I have to pray. I have to be with my brothers and sisters in order to kind of put some credit in. I need to do those to put some credit in. If I don't put some credit in, I get to the end of the week and I'm bankrupt and overdrawn and, and kind of 200 pounds coming out again and again and again. I think the Holy Spirit wants to kind of help me to keep spiritually healthy by keep making deposits. So I, I, think, I think my spiritual life is like a tire on a bike and it's got a slow puncture and it's like letting out air. Every day, no matter what I do, I can't fix it with a puncture kit because it's not a design flaw, it's God's design. He made us to leak. He made us to let out air so that we need the Holy Spirit to come and fill us 
That's how it is. Doesn't matter how pumped up you pump a tire, if it's got a slow puncture, eventually it will let out air. It doesn't matter what wonderful experience I have of God one day, three days later, it's like I never had any of them. Or is that just me? I think it's how we're designed because God says, no, no, I don't want to give you one big blow of my Holy Spirit that's going to keep you going for 27 years. I want to come and meet with you today and then I want you to be hungry to meet with me tomorrow. That's how it is. Not a design flaw. He's designed us to have to rely on the Holy Spirit in the same way that Jesus had to rely on the Holy Spirit day by day by day by day by day if we're going to live lives to glorify God. If you want to glorify Jesus, if you want to be a witness to him through your life, if you recognize that you need more of the Holy Spirit's power to do that, then my advice this morning is to ask with faith, wait with expectancy, because God always fulfills his promise. And if God fills you with his Holy Spirit this morning, then ask him again tomorrow, and ask him again on Tuesday, and ask him again on Wednesday. He's interested in making you a witness, not in simply enabling you to do witnessing better. I honestly believe this morning the Holy Spirit wants to come, but he wants to do stuff in here. He wants to do stuff in here. The question remains, do we want him to do stuff in here?